Olá, esta é uma edição especial do podcast Descobrindo Doctor Who. Ela é especial porque, na verdade, ela é só uma entrevista, uma entrevista que eu fiz com o roteirista Mark Gatiss, quando ele passou aqui pelo Brasil, passou pelo, é, pelo Rio de Janeiro e por São Paulo, em março deste ano, para divulgar Sherlock e, e todo o trabalho que ele faz. Ele é roteirista, ele é um fã muito dedicado de terror, não só de filmes de terror, mas como de literatura de terror também, e o Marquettes ele é essencial nessa nova fase do Doctor Who, ele escreveu vários episódios clássicos desde a volta em 2005, e, e ele é um exemplo dessa nova fase de pessoas que eram fãs da série quando eram crianças e, e que hoje trabalham nela. Em Sherlock ele, ele tem um envolvimento maior, ele é produtor, ele escreve quase todos os roteiros e ele ainda atua, ele, ele faz o irmão do Sherlock, Mycroft. Então ele é um cara muito interessante. É, eu optei por não traduzir essa entrevista, ela, ela vai no original em inglês sem nenhum corte e nada do tipo, porque eu achei que seria meio chato ficar interrompendo a conversa também, então eu vou só fazer um resumo básico, ele, ele começa falando sobre como ele começou a escrever é, histórias de terror ainda na escola e que ali mesmo ele já fazia fanfiction de Doctor Who e de Sherlock. É, depois ele fala um pouco sobre como foi que ele começou a, a fazer as histórias de Doctor Who, que ele tinha uma preocupação muito grande com arrumar pequenos detalhes nas histórias que, que não ficavam claros, assim, que a, a, as discrepâncias ao longo do, dos anos. E ele fala bastante sobre a aparência da Tardes, que era uma coisa que incomodava muito ele, assim, como ela mudava. E aí ele desenvolvia teorias a respeito disso, mas que na verdade era só mudanças na produção, não tinha nenhuma explicação lógica de por que aquela aparência estava mudando. É, ele fala sobre a volta dos Ice Warriors num episódio que ele escreveu na temporada passada de Doctor Who e fala muito pouco sobre os dois roteiros que ele estava preparando é, para a nova temporada, para a estreia do Peter Capaldi. Agora a gente já sabe que um deles envolve é, Robin Hood, deve ser um dos cinco primeiros dessa nova temporada e, e ele mencionou que 100% deles... É, tratam de monstros novos, que ele, que ele não resgata nenhum inimigo antigo do, do Doctor, é, pelo menos nesses dois roteiros que ele estava trabalhando. Ele também fala sobre a, a recepção do Peter Capaldi no papel de Doctor, sobre essa, essa onda de críticas que, que teve, dos, em especial dos fãs mais novos, sobre a idade dele e de como isso é essencial, essa diferença de idades é essencial dentro do, dos 50 anos da série e como essa ideia foi invertida que antigamente é, quanto mais novo era o Doctor mais reclamações se ouviam e hoje isso se, se inverteu um pouco ele também fala sobre como é diferente trabalhar com a, a série Doctor Who e como é, é em Sherlock fala sobre as diferenças entre séries de TV nos Estados Unidos e na Inglaterra, diz que não tem nenhum interesse de trabalhar nos Estados Unidos, mas que vê uma mudança é, de estrutura mesmo na, nas séries produzidas nos Estados Unidos. Ele também fala sobre é, essa diferença entre ser roteirista e ser ator e, e sobre é, 
como é difícil agendar tempo para a execução de Sherlock, já que todo mundo envolvido na série é extremamente ocupado. Fala um pouquinho também sobre a quarta e a quinta temporada de Sherlock. Fala como eles não pensaram ainda no final. É, eu perguntei isso pensando no, no fim do, do, do material é, em que a série se baseia e ele explica um pouco sobre isso, como eles não são exatamente fiéis uh, às histórias de Sherlock Holmes. E bem no finalzinho ele ainda comenta sobre o crossover de Sherlock e Doctor Who que um fã fez e colocou na internet e sobre como aquele vídeo acaba com um dos problemas que ele sempre enfrentava em entrevistas. Bom, então é isso, a entrevista com o Mark Gatiss no podcast Descobrindo Doctor Who. Até mais! So, um, I'm really curious about the, your beginnings as a writer. I know you're very interested in M.R. James and mm. horror stories. Uh, is horror your main background? Was that the, the, you know, the main thing that made you want to write? I think so. Uh, certainly what I used to write when I was at school. I used to actually, it's a terrible thing, I used to earn a sort of living at school by writing horror stories in which various unpopular teachers were horribly murdered. <laughs> I, used to, I used to peddle them around the school. I've still got one somewhere. Um, my PE teacher I particularly hated. Enjoyed writing revenge stories about him getting killed. Um, but yeah, that was always what I loved. But Doctor Who is a huge part of it. I, I certainly wrote Doctor Who stories in my school exercise book and, and Sherlock Holmes as well. Uh, they were my two big passions. But it's, it's always been tinged with horror. It's my favorite part of anything. And ghost stories particularly. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it seems really um, common these days that people writing for Doctor Who start as fans, you know, writing fan fiction. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, it's sort of, I mean, it, some might argue the lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> but I think it's, uh, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because it, it's silly to, to be pejorative about it. Really, because everyone's a fan of something. When when people brought when people made the Sherlock Holmes films, when anybody took over Doctor Who, they did so. With, well, you know, it was a job, obviously, but they loved it and they put everything into it. So, and I think that goes for anything in any walk of life. I think you probably maybe you wanted to become a journalist because you you like reading good journalism. So it's um, it, it's sort of. I think it's odd. It's odd that, that there is still a sort of pejorative feel about the notion of cult and things but, like that. But I think that's changing now. It is, but you know, someone said to me the other day, even said, um, you know, uh, you're, you're obviously drawn to stranger things, true, but, and you're heavily involved with two uh, cult programs. And I said, but Sherlock and Doctor Who are two of the most popular programs in the world. I mean, if that's your definition of cult, then I'm certainly a member of it. Because the, it's the, the audience, you know, obviously there are some aspects who are much more obsessional about it, but it, you look at the top 10, top 20 American movies, uh, superhero movies, fantasy movies, it's become incredibly mainstream, really, to, more than I'd ever thought it would be. But it, there's still a weird sort of, I think a, a strange sort of, about it. People, people, I suppose people who, to use a Doctor Who term, the not we, people who don't understand it still find it a bit baffling that it's so popular. And is it true, I read that you first started writing uh, Doctor Who stories that were trying to make ends meet with certain things that, that were up in the air, you know, trying to connect things that uh, weren't 
maybe the, the serious uh, I guess so I mean that's that's a fanboy thing isn't yeah. it which I've grown out of now but I remember I was when I was about 12 or 13 I was obsessed with the difference between the exterior of the TARDIS I was obsessed with it I didn't have much of a life but you know the um, the, the roof changed the St John's ambulance badge went and I, I developed an actual theory <laughs> for why this was the case as opposed to the fact that diff- basically production teams changed the TARDIS fell apart and they rebuilt it without looking at the original plans <laughs> things like that so yeah I think that's just an instinct everyone goes through and gets I think hopefully gets through <laughs> but I did actually when, when, when Matt Smith took over Steve and Matt Smith took over uh, I, I begged Steve to bring back the white windows and the St John's ambulance back <laughs> and I got my way <laughs> and whenever a, a new series is starting to, to take shape, uh, do you go back to your inner fanboy to think, uh, what can I contribute to this? Uh, how can I look into it? For Doctor Who, it's yes. um, it's all. It depends what what's happening. Um, last season, uh, I'd been badgering Steve to let me bring back the Ice Warriors for years, and he he always said that they're too slow. They they like the They're like the quintessential lumbering Doctor Who monster. But then I mentioned that I always wanted to do one on a submarine. And I had a great idea for an Ice Warriors story in which they came out of their shells. And within five minutes, the Ice Warriors were on a submarine. And then they, that was it. And then and Crimson Horror was, a, was completely... Uh, that Steve said, asked me to do one uh, as if it were a Vastra, Jenny and Strax spin-off. Um, and uh, everything else came from me and uh, so sometimes it's a sort of shopping list other times it's a suggestion uh, the, the two scripts I'm working on at the moment one of them Steve asked me specifically the other one was something I, an idea I've had for a long time so it's it's always a mixture of the two really. and I know you can't tell much <laughs> about the new season but uh, can you tell me if the scripts you're, you're working on are related to old monsters or new creations? New, new, new. All right. And uh, tell me a little bit about Peter Capaldi, because I, I was a little bit shocked uh, from the reaction the new fans got, saying he's too old, because, you know, it's such a essential part of Doctor Who, uh, getting older Doctors. And but to this new generation, it doesn't seem so. But then that's... That, isn't that fascinating? I think it's like... Black is white, up is down. Um, when uh, when Peter Davison was cast, everybody said, "How can the Doctor possibly be so young?" And now it's just flipped over. But I think that's really exciting. The the radical thing to do, do, do now is to go older, because I think if if uh, if Steve had chosen uh, another young, slightly ge- uh, geeky man, it would just feel too similar. Whereas it's thrilling now, and, uh, and uh, I mean, and I can understand from a, uh, from a post 2005 perspective, they're probably a bit nervous. But you know, when I w- when John Pertwee was my doctor, and I worshipped him, uh, I didn't need him to be younger. I liked him because he was a bit older. He was a sort of father figure, grandfather figure, and I think that that's as true today as it'll ever be. Peter is a is a phenomenal actor, one of our greatest, and so enthusiastic about it so um, it'll just Such it'll be uh, yeah and it'll be so it'll be so exciting to see what he does with it because precisely because it'll be unexpected 
And you know, comparing the, the, the two shows, um, it seems that with Doctor Who, when you're cast as the Doctor, uh, you have to dedicate your, your life at the moment mm -hmm, for that. Mm -hmm. As in Sherlock, it seems that you guys have to work around schedules to, to you know, to make We do know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how would you compare working with the, the, the two shows? Well, I mean, it's very true to say that one of the, one of the things that makes Sherlock such a good job is that because it, we don't do it all the time, is that Benedict and Martin are free to go off and do movies and then come back to the show that they love doing and people love them being in. So it's certainly less intense that, as you say, uh, having to kind of... I mean, Doctor Who films sort of nine months of the year. It's a major commitment. It doesn't really leave you much room to do anything else uh, except lie down, I think. Uh, and I, I know David and Matt both, you know, they wanted to do something very different in the gaps between... Um, so it's it, it, it's Doctor Who is certainly I would say, more demanding as a, as a year-round production, um, and we are you know because we've managed to make uh, our stars of Sherlock into international movie stars, it's it's harder and harder. But everyone's very keen to carry on, so um, we just have to make the dates work. And in that sense. Uh isn't it great that you guys are doing it in England and not the US? Because it feels that in the US you would have the pressure to make another series right now, right after you went one. Well, I think you can overestimate that. First of all, I think the Americans are actually responding more and more to what we're doing and doing fewer episodes. The, they're not House of Cards is with 13 some of them are even 6 6 or 10 which is, I mean they used to do like 38 uh, a week <laughs> um, I think that's rather interesting because it's they're trying to do maybe fewer and better episodes um, but also I mean if, if we were if we were in America doing it there would obviously be that pressure but it's one of the great liberties uh, or liberating things is to be able to go no just not not interested Steve and I are often asked about going to America stuff like that and we're not interested because all the things that make Sherlock work and Doctor Who work would go uh, I think I think it would instantly become a kind of committee show it would lose all its identity and if if you're not interested then they've got nothing to offer you only money really and if you just go then it's actually a very liberating thing um I don't think uh, they would prosper in, in that environment. But as I say, I think the environment, certainly in some areas, is changing. I think that I think there are places it could prosper, but in that sort of studio environment, it, it would kill it kill what makes them magical. And being an actor, a writer, an actor, um, is it hard to to you know work just as an actor? When you go into a project like uh, you're doing Frankenstein, right, uh, and you're not a writer, uh, is it harder? Do you ever get yourself thinking, mm, maybe you should rewrite this? If I do, I'm not allowed. <laughs> no, it's not. It's nice actually. It's quite. Um, sometimes it's just very nice just to think I'm only here to you know. When I see worried producers walking around and think it's not my turn, <laughs> then it's very nice. Uh, I, like, I mean, I've always done both, and I, I like the I like the freedom of that. Uh, so, uh, it, 
I know what you mean, and sometimes, obviously, but I, I hopefully, if I, I pick the right projects, then I don't have to feel that. <laughs> <laughs> and how much planning uh, is involved in in your work, uh, either with Doctor Who or Sherlock? Because uh, it seems that it's a, you have a lot of things to 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 fit and make it work. Uh, Sherlock, for example, uh, are you guys already planning? You know. Uh, you do this in two years and that time is already put aside for that project well, uh, or is it more chaotic just it's not chaotic it's just it is literally it's about it's about shifting blocks of time I think if if Stephen and I were totally free it would be easier to plan Doctor Who obviously takes up most of Steve's time so we've got to move around that we've got to move around my availability Benedict and Martins principally So we've, we've, we've worked out the fourth series and we've talked about the fifth. Luckily you won't be able to hear any of this. Um, and uh, our aim is to make it sooner rather than later. But inevitably, I think it'll be two years again, as it always has been. It's been two years so far. Because by the time we've written them and we've got everything agreed, it's space, that's basically where we're, at, where we're up to. So hopefully hopefully sooner but I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2016 and have you planned uh, the ending uh, no why would we do that I, I mean don't know. maybe maybe when the, 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 the source material runs out no but it, I mean we've always I mean if you know so far we've done nine episodes and uh, very few of them actually have more than about 15 minutes of the original story So, you know, we've done Scandal and Bohemia, we've done Charles Augustus Milverton, we've done Hound of the Baskervilles, but there are actually bits within those stories that you could still put somewhere else. I think it's, I mean, there's, first of all, a vast quantity of brilliant Conan Doyle stories to base them on. There's also a vast quantity of new ideas, and also a vast quantity of other sources. Um, actually, the... The, the, the Lost Tube story is sort of based on another Conan Doyle story called The Lost Special uh, it's not even a Sherlock Holmes story but it feels like one so you know there's I think I don't think we'll run out uh, and we'd like to carry on Doctor Who it's very good I'm very grateful to it because now hopefully people will stop asking that stupid you don't have to do it no it's, it's, it's someone's done it it's rather clever but my, my answer always is Apart from the fact that it's, it's silly, because how could it ever happen? But then what? What, what happens then? Because I think people derive more pleasure from asking the question than from the idea of it, yeah. and it would only disappoint. <laughs> That's I think I think it's really it's really well done, isn't it? it is, yeah. Really well done. But of course, what? Yeah, the, the TARDIS appearing in Baker Street is like that's TV quality. It's amazing. Yeah. Who are these people? <laughs> I saw someone had done a opening titles. Peter Capaldi it's amazing yeah. where did they get the resources very impressive you see it's a bit like really it's a bit like as you say about being a fan of anything um, writing because you're inspired by it in other areas people are inspired by the, they've got their own technology and they want to make their version of things and they just do it it's great and they'll be the, they'll be the stars of tomorrow mark my words well thank you 